Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. And it is a joy as well as a privilege to be here today. And I hope if you haven't yet, that you will go to the rock. The rock of my salvation. I'll tell you, the scripture says that there's honey in the rock. There for me. The bees live off honey. From the honeycomb. And you can taste its sweetness to the rock you are to room. Honey in the rock is good for me and I know that honey in the rock will feed your soul. <laughs> well, thank you, Martian Pastor Dave. I saw him up here perpetrating, moving his lips, but never made a sound. That teach him a lesson to get up here and show off. We put him on the spot, too. But I heard a story about a paper boy that every day around 4.15, he would park his bicycle out in front of the church. Then he'd go inside and stick his head in the door. And he would simply say, hello, Jesus. This is Johnny. Then he would close them massive church doors and go back out, get on his bicycle and continue his route. It went on for several weeks, so much so that even the pastor of the church had got his attention. So somewhere around 4.15, he would stop whatever he was doing and listen for that little boy voice to come in there and say, Hello, Jesus. This is Johnny. And he would go back out and continue on his paper route. <clears throat> I was a paper boy. <clears throat> Excuse me, I passed two churches. Not once did I go inside, but I wish that story was about me, but it wasn't. Then, after several weeks, 415 came and no Johnny. 420, still no Johnny. 425. Then the pastor heard the approaching sounds of a siren. And he got that sickly feeling in his stomach and he ran outside to look outside the church. And there he saw Johnny's bike in the middle of the street. He ran over to his crumpled body that was laying there on the grass. The driver of the truck said, I, I didn't have time to stop. He just rolled right out in front of me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he stood there with tears in his eyes, holding his glasses. The pastor bent down to him and his eyes welling up with tears as the ambulance attendants were administering first aid to him. Pretty soon his body shook then his eyes fluttered and he looked around and he said, where is he? 
The driver said, son, you were here by yourself. There's nobody else here but you. He said, no, where is he? He said, who are you talking about? He said, where is that nice man who caught me in the air, laid me on the ground, and then said, hello, Johnny. This is Jesus. If you do for God the things that you can do, hallelujah, then God will do for you the things you cannot do. Listen, he wants to have a relationship with us, but our sins construct a barrier between us and him. And we walk around living beneath our privileges, feeling that we are not worthy. But we honor God with our asking. Napoleon Bonaparte was a great general. And before he met his Waterloo, one of his officers came to him and said, General, we can't hold our position. Napoleon looked at him and said, if you can't hold the position, then advance. That officer advanced. And at the end, they captured the stronghold. Then Napoleon came to him and said, what can I give you for your bravery? How can I reward you? He said, sir, oh, I know that you're capable of a lot. But I was wondering if um, you could give me an island. He said, you honor me with your asking. And he gave him an island. We honor God with our asking if we come to him in the right way. We, we just can't break in on his authority. You can't ask him for somebody else's husband or wife. It's not going to happen. Well, sometimes I guess it does. Uh, you can't ask him to make you an astronaut to fly the space shuttle when you can't even drive a John Deere tractor. You have to ask with specifics. And when you do that, God will give you the desires of your heart. I remember several years ago, this woman came up to the front and I was standing down here. And she says, would you pray for me to get a husband? Now, I, I said it in the first service. I'm going to say it now. If she wasn't at the first service, uh, and if you are here now, don't raise your hand. Okay. But she come, a true story, she come up. And she said, would you pray for me to get a husband? I said, well, what kind of husband do you want? She said, I just want a husband. You just pray. I'm not really particular. <laughs> I laid my hand on her head. And she closed her eyes and bowed her head in anticipation to what I was going to say. And I don't remember everything, but I wrote down what I could remember. This is what I said to her. I said, Lord Jesus, give 
this woman an unreliable, good-for-nothing, first-class, bottom-feeder that's trolling for misfits. Let him be a slithering, slimy serpent. She, she stopped. She pulled her head up from underneath my hand. If you're here, you remember it and you know it's true. Then she looked up at me like I was an alien from another planet with three or four heads. She says, what the heck are you doing? I said, I'm trying to pray for you and I'm not done yet. <laughs> now, now, you know what? Now, listen, I would never pray that kind of prayer for somebody in real life. Unless maybe I didn't like them. <laughs> no, 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 no. Even if I liked you, I wouldn't pray that kind of prayer. But I said, I'm trying to teach you something. And before she struck me thrice with three successful blows, I told her, when you pray, you need to pray with specifics. You don't need some, well, bunch of dirt wearing pants. You ask God for a priest and let him be a protector of his family. Let him provide for his family. Don't just let him come and sit at the table and wait to be waited on, but let him go out and wait on you. Let him be a real provider. We need to start speaking God's word. Mark 11, 22 to 24. In this particular passage of scripture, you will see where Jesus referred to the word say or sing three or four times, only once, to believing. Because he understood the power of the tongue. Everything that exists is here as a result of the spoken word of God. And if God spoke it into existence by his word, it is still subject to his word today. So, God created us and he gave us the ability to confess his word. Confessing his word brings about faith and faith brings about power. Now that Jesus has given that to us, we have the same ability to speak his word that he did. Because after he died on the cross, after his death, burial and resurrection, and after he took his own blood and offered it on the altars of God in heaven, he gave us that authority to use it. And the blood of Jesus gives us the authority to operate in his name. And the name of Jesus allows us that ability to operate in the anointing. And it is the anointing that destroys the yoke. Listen, I know some of you have come through some pretty tough times. Some of you had some breakups. Some of you have had some breakdowns. Maybe some of you have even had some break-ins. And I know there's a lot of us here who just want to break even. But I can guarantee you this. God just doesn't want you to have a breakthrough. He wants you to have a breakout. And that's what will take you to places you've never been. 
and you can operate in giftings you've never operated in. I start off by saying to you one thing, but I'm going to halt it for a minute, and I'm going to grab this glass right quick, if that's all right with you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to hold it up. You need to be an active listener. If you do not listen and obey to completion, it's just as good as not starting at all. Because partial obedience is not obedience at all. Now, as I hold this glass up, and I know a lot of you already something in your heart, by a show of hands, who knows what I'm going to ask? Okay. Okay. What do you think I'm going to ask you? Is the glass half empty or half full? Now listen, you have to be an active listener. If you come to my house and I ask you to wash, and before I finish it, you run off and you get a hose and you start washing my car, cleaning inside and out. And then you come back inside when all I wanted to do was wash the dishes. You didn't actively listen. You didn't obey to completion. And as a result, you're in disobedience. What I was going to ask you about this glass was not whether or not it's half empty or half full. I wanted to know how much the water weighs. Hmm. Now, listen, the water is constant. What's variable is time. I hold this glass out like this for a few seconds, nothing really happens. If I wait for a few minutes, my arm might start waving back and forth. If I give it a few minutes, pretty soon my arm's going to start drooping, maybe. And then if I wait for a few days, there might be some kind of permanent paralysis that might set in. What's the solution? Put the water down. That is the same thing with sin. All you have to do is put it down. At first, maybe nothing happens. At first, maybe you might feel a little bit of something. At first, you might feel a little miserable for a few minutes or a little discomfort. And it becomes hard to manage. But you leave it there long. Listen, by the way. Why do you need to manage sin anyway when Jesus says you can live free from it? All you have to do is just put it down. Follow God's direction. Speak your potential. Listen, once you get a revelation of who God is in you or who God is, once you get that revelation, of who God is, he will give you a revelation of who you are. This was not my message. I sat for a week over there in the food bank putting a message together. And then I sat at my table last night while reviewing it. And these are the things I'm telling you now that came to me. This is to help me. But I'm going to share it with you. I'll get to my message. Get tired of being what other people think you are. 
Start following your own dreams instead of viewing your promises from somebody else's field. Your dreams are an invisible picture of your future where God wants you to be. God wants to pour us into us so much and we are too busy following signs. When Mark 16, 15 says these signs shall follow us in my name. You shall cast out devils. You shall speak with new tongues. You shall take up serpents. If you drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt you. Hear a new work over here. Hear a new work over there. Running all over the place. Following signs. Let those signs follow you. Matter of fact, our first obligation as a Christian is to see people saved. That's what Mark 16, 50 says. Preach the gospel to every creature. Then these signs will fall. That does not make you responsible for them, but it does make you responsible to them. Do it God's way. The power of God is still at work in us. That way you won't get caught up following somebody else's charisma, somebody else's power that they supposedly has. You can have it for yourself. And listen, what else I'm going to tell you here? This is, I'm talking to myself. This is what I said. Have a proper perspective of yourself. Wow. I wish I knew this 50 years ago. I'm talking to me. And who God says you are. Because what you believe about yourself will keep you away from what God has for you. And on top of that, don't think that you're all of that. Don't think that you're so high up the mountain that you're standing right next to Jesus. Let another man praise you, not you yourself. How many times you go into a restaurant and people come over to your table to pay for your bill because you look all of that so they can just be close to you? It doesn't happen. You cannot aggrandize yourself to a level of purity. But Jesus knows how to get things done. You can look like all of that. You can come in here every day starched and ironed. But if you have never been washed in the blood, your sin will still be as scarlet. Going to church does not make you a Christian. No more than going into a garage and make you a car. You can come here week after week. And leave here the same way. Come in, never clap your hands, never pat your foot. You never get involved. Come here dead on arrival and leave the same way. Quit sharpening swords and learn how to slay devils with them. Remember, I'm talking to myself. I'm sharing you my own personal thoughts. devil doesn't care if you come to church. As a matter of fact, some of you might have brought him with you this morning. Okay, well, maybe I better leave that alone. Okay. He does not care if you're here or not. He just doesn't want you to catch a hold of faith and get involved because he knows that praise 
will come out of you in the middle of any type of circumstance. He knows that when you start bragging on God, he'll show up because God or Jesus dwells in the midst of praise. Just because you've gone to some church and wrote your name on the church roll and shook the pastor's hand, that don't mean nothing. You might as well write your name on a barn door, shake a donkey's tail. That is the same result because God is not a Baptist. God is not a Methodist. God is not an Anglican, Lutheran, Episcopalian. God is not a Protestant. God is not a Catholic. But God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jim Jones is not the way. Hariyata Krishna is not the way. Muhammad is not the way. Buddha is not the way. Sun Young Moon is not the way. Jesus is the way. He is the son of the living God. It is Jesus who stepped through the universe in the form of a spirit, wrapped himself up with flesh, took his place in Mary's womb to become the savior of the world. Hallelujah. And then three, 33 and a half years later, allowed himself to be sacrificed on Calvary. They didn't kill him. They didn't assassinate him. They didn't murder him. He was a willing sacrifice. I'm trying to help you. And I'm not trying to make myself look like anything all that great because I was a terrible sinner. Sin was as much a part of my life as cornflakes and shredded wheat and Wheaties. <laughs> but in that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. I caught a hold of Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, who knows it? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus loved me when I was lost as a ball in high weeds and decided to die for me. Because the blood of goats and bulls could not do it in that it was weak to the flesh. God sent forth his son made of a woman in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Hallelujah. Listen. Disappointment comes your way. You stare back at it with praise. The devil can't stand it. Hallelujah. Anyhow, that don't make too much sense. That's not even good English. But it sure is good sense. Hallelujah. Sing it. That's right. When life's trials come your way, lift your head up high and say, what? <laughs> you see, God has a will and it must be obeyed. You just can't break in on his will and schedule him in like some little league baseball game. You got to come the right way. That man in Mark chapter one, verse 40, 
he came to Jesus. He was a leper. And he said, well, I know you can. He came there humbly beseeching Jesus. He said, Jesus, I got two problems. I already settled the one, but I haven't settled the other. The one is, I know you can, and I've settled that. But the second part of that equation is, I don't know whether or not you will. And Jesus made a commandment to that man in conjunction to his faith. And he says, I will be thou clean. And immediately, the grim law that governed leprosy had to leave because Jesus had spoke. I'm trying to get to my message called This Means War. But I'm compelled to tell you what else I believe God gave me yesterday. The story that we all heard in Sunday school about those three carpenters that Nebuchadnezzar placed in his fire. I was waiting for somebody to say they weren't carpenters. Their name was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I looked at it, it looked like my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. Ah, <laughs> uh, I know, that's just, no, no, I know, I know. Uh, you know what? After about 20 minutes, you start drifting on a memory, okay? <laughs> but when Nebuchadnezzar made the command throughout his entire realm, I'm going to put up a statue of myself 100 feet high and 10 feet wide in the plains of Dura. And everybody that does not bow is going to be cast into the fire. Somebody went back and said, you know what, King, them three boys you brought over here from Israel, they're hard hit. They're not bowing. They're standing up in defiance to your law. The king got furious. He said, bring them to me. He said, boys, listen, you know something? I marched across this whole world. No nation was able to stand up against me, not even your nation. As a matter of fact, when I got to Jerusalem, I never even saw that so powerful God you guys were talking about. So what do you think of that? I brought you back here. I must be a bad man. Them boys said, King, live forever. We, we're not even going to answer that. We're not even going to dignify that insult with an answer. Oh, you never saw him. But let me tell you something. Every now and again, we can feel him. And he moving down on the inside of us. The king says, that's all right. We'll see how much you can feel him when I throw you in that fire. So he had some of these big men from his army grab these boys in their clothes and pitch them into a fire that was heated up seven times that was normal. And he stood back and said, where is your God now? And boy said, king, our God is a deliverer. If he delivers us, well. If he doesn't, we still will not bow. He pitched them boys in the furnace. They were in the furnace. But heaven was in their heart. He looked after expecting to see 
Nothing more than burnt up flesh. He said, did not I cast in three men bound to the midst of that burning fire? How is it that I now see four and the form of the fourth looks like the son of God? Jesus got in that fire and he told that fire, don't you burn their bodies. Don't you singe their clothes and don't you scorch their hair. I got power over you and my authority is greater than the devil's power. So you get back on your side of the line. You don't have to be pushed around anymore. I remember when I was in school, I didn't think too much of myself, really. You see me today, you think, oh, wow, that's not true. Well, I want to tell you something. I remember being called out for things I didn't even do. And I just didn't defend myself. That's the true story. I spent so much time after school, the other kids thought I was a janitor. <laughs> oh, maybe no, no, you know. But I did spend a lot of time there. And I remember one day, sometime in late May or early June, it's hot. We didn't have air conditioning in school. And I sat at the back of the row close to the window. First row as you come into the classroom, meet by the door. And I heard a truck backfire or I heard something fall off a truck. I don't know what I heard, but I heard something. So I looked around out the window to see what it was at the back of the road. And all the kids at the back of the road did too. At that time, the principal was walking by. And he stood in the doorway and he bellowed. Now, when they call you by your first name first and your second name second, it's never good. <laughs> Howie Mulder, get up on your feet. Get your books and get out. If you want to be out there, then get out. I looked to the teacher, hoping that he might try to help me a little bit. He just stood there mute. And the other kids, their eyes was as big as golf balls, too, thinking, maybe he didn't see us. Then he stood in the doorway as I was going by, and I had to walk around him. I was suspended for three days for looking out the window. But hang on a minute. That was back in the middle 60s. Let's fast forward to the late 70s and early 80s. I'm seated in the coffee shop with some other cops. We're having lunch. Guess who walks in? Here he comes in, walking in proud as a peacock. Walked past our table. And he kind of looked at you like this. Then. A little frown come over his face. Are you Howie Mulder? He said, I always thought you'd be in a cruiser, but I never thought you'd be driving one. I stood up so fast that everybody in that restaurant was nervous, including me, because I didn't know what I was going to do. I looked at him right in the face and I took my finger. I said, Mr. We had to call him Sir and Mr. And I'm not going to tell you his last name because some of y'all might have went to that same school I did. And I know you did. I said, Mr. You don't intimidate me anymore. I said, there's a new sheriff in town. And I stood in the doorway as he was going back in the other part of the restaurant. And I let him walk around me this time. 
Well, was I holding the grudge? Kind of. But did it feel good at the time? You back-breaking betcha. <laughs> and let me tell you something. I saw that man several times after, and not one time did he ever try to talk down to me, whether I was in uniform or out. Not one time. Sometime you have to straighten up your back because the man can only ride your back if it's bent. And you can tell the devil, get back on your side of the line. When Jesus came through 42 generations, stepped through the spirit, the universe in the form of a spirit, then wrapped himself up with flesh, took his place in Mary's womb to be born savior of the world. Yes, hallelujah. Then, 33 and one half years later, they led him up Calvary to Golgotha's brow, where they suspended him between heaven and earth, sat down around the foot of the cross and watched him suffer in agony as if watching an afternoon matinee. Somewhere around noon it got dark like it's going to do tomorrow. And then you could hear him say, it is finished. He didn't say I'm finished. He said it is finished. He purchased our salvation. And with his blood, he offered it up on the altar of God. And God accepted it as our atonement. And now we no longer have to be pushed around by the devil. Because greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. It is the blood of Jesus that allows us to operate in the anointing. And it is the anointing that gives us the authority to use Jesus' name. And it is the name of Jesus that is above every name in heaven, earth, and under the earth. That the name of Jesus. Every knee would bow of things in heaven and things in earth. And every tongue should confess took him into the grave. <sighs> Death said, what are you doing getting up on you? You can't do that. I just did. Then he went into the throne room of Satan, grabbed him by his neck, didn't ask for the keys, slammed him to the ground, put his foot in Satan's neck and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. The grave said, hey, I just told you, you can't do that. Stop him. Hell, close your gates. He said, I can't prevail against him. No grave could hold his body down. He got up out of the grave with power and he gave that power and authority to us so that when the enemy comes to you with his stuff, you can answer back with praise. Amen. I remember I was in a serious Motor vehicle accident several years ago. I was on a highway on my way back to the police office station. These boys run me off the road. And I hit a tree at 55 miles an hour, not kilometers, 55 miles an hour. The, when the impact, your, your uh, uh, odometer will stop. 55 miles an hour. Hit a tree head on. Oh, Oh, something just come to my head. I didn't think about it earlier today. But now, listen, if you've never hit the devil head on, you're obviously traveling in the same direction. 
Oh, yeah, that didn't feel good, did it? <laughs> anyway, I slammed into that tree with such a terrific amount of force that I blew up both my shoulders, both my knees. I had, had operations in all four joints. Got to the hospital. Never was in a hospital in my life. Wasn't even born in a hospital. I was born at home. I didn't know all them strange people in the hospital. And I, I like the comfort of just me and my mother there at home having, having me. People staring at my naked body. So I don't even know who they are. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with it. I just wanted to add that in there. Never in a hospital. But after that incident, first hospital I went to, I was in three hospitals in three cities. The doctor said, my first name's William. He said, William, my wife was there. If you wasn't so muscular, I'm just gonna say what the doctor said one more time. The doctor said, William, if you wasn't so muscular, the results would be different. Because at that time, I thought I was a massive destruction. I did. I got to tell you something. Up here. I thought, I thought I could kill a brick, triple a stick, and put an iron bar in a hospital. My whole body was a weapon. I thought, up here, up here. Oh, that's up here. Okay. But he said that if you wasn't so muscular, the results would be different. I had to have both shoulders repaired, both knees repaired. He said, you only got four major joints in your body, buddy, and you blew them all on at once. I said, as painful as it was, I didn't want to do it one at a time. Let's get it all done at once. <laughs> anyway, my grandson called me up one morning. Now I'm home recovering in bed. Hadn't been behind the wheel in some time. He said, Papa, I want to go to McDonald's. Never called to say, how you feeling, Papa? Can I come over and help you with anything? Did you sleep well last night? No. I want to go to McDonald's. I said, what did you say, Douglas? He said, Papa, I want to go to McDonald's. I said, uh, do you have a car? He kind of paused a bit and he says, no. Wondering, probably wondering. I'm your grandson. I'm only three or four years old. I don't even have a license. You want to know if I have a car or not? He didn't say that. Then I said, okay, Douglas, can I ask you another question? Do you have any money? And he got quiet again. He said, no, Papa. But do you know what? I said, no, Douglas, what? He says, you do. <laughs> that was the game changer. I got up out of the bed. If I had to go to the bank and borrow money, that boy was going to McDonald's because he honored me with his asking. Just like that guy honored Napoleon with his asking, he got an island. That boy got McDonald's that day. Now, I couldn't drive there. I, I drove around a corner to their house and I had to get out of the car and let Doug drive me because I was still recuperating but I got up because he taught me something that day Jack you know what he taught me he taught me if Papa has it then I have it too and I'm here to tell you if Jesus has it then you have it too I, I, my message was mean this means war this is what I taught myself
Now I got to get to the lesson that I was trying to teach you. You already heard it. Uh, 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 Mark and his sister, they read it. The Hosvet found that these guys, Mount Sir and Moab and Ammon was going to come up against him and invade the land and dispossess them from the promises that God gave them. God wouldn't let them go against them when they came out of Egypt because they were their first, second cousins. They were the sons of Abraham's nephew, Lot, maybe from an incestuous relationship, but they were Ammon and Moab. Here they are now, after the fire that fell in Sodom and Gomorrah, thinking that there's nobody else left. His two daughters go into their father, Lot, and they have Moab and Ammon. Now they're coming against the children of Israel. They're talking bad against them, saying terrible things. So the word gets back to Jehoshaphat. He says, listen, you, you heard it today. Uh, I don't know what to do about it. We don't have the strength to come against this nation. But he reminded God about his prayer. And he says, we can't do it. But we know you can. We don't have the might. But as long as you have it, we have it too. And God went to bat for them. And he said, I will send the word. And listen to where he sent it. He didn't send it to the front row where all these fine people are seated. He didn't send it to the choir loft or even the bandstand or even to the ushers. He sent it to a guy that's sitting in the midst of the congregation. Way in the back somewhere. He sends the word. He's not even a king's counselor. He says, you go tell Jehoshaphat that this battle that they're going to fight is not their battle. This battle is mine. And I know how to take care of myself. And you don't even have to fight. Don't even bring a weapon with you. All I want you to do is get out there in front and maybe sing a song. And as they sung, the children of Moab and Ammon, they destroyed the children of Mount Seir, killed them all. And once they had finished killing them, they turned the sword and killed each other. Until the children of Israel came out the next day and stood in the wilderness and looked over the watchtower and they saw nothing but dead bodies. So many dead bodies, it took them three days just to haul the spoils back. Because the battle was not their battle. The battle was the Lord's. When they talked that stuff against God, he said, this means war. And when the enemy comes against you, he's coming against God. And this means war. I got to rush. I got two minutes to get to. Wow. God dwells in the midst of praise. Well, I'm going to just take a, a couple minutes then. I'm going to turn all these pages and go back here. Listen, when you come to God, you have to have the mind of Christ, that this mind is in you that was in him, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, being found in fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that every knee shall bow, things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. That's the mind you have to have. 
Don't be like the elephant. They take them baby elephants when they catch them in the wild, tie their back leg to a banyan tree, and that beast will shake that chain and try it and tug it and pull it. The tree will bend but not break and then just destroys his leg. Pain and agony just surges his way through that animal till finally his will is broken and he stopped pulling. Then when that beast becomes five or six tons, they take him and put him in a circus somewhere, tie a little rope around his leg into a six-inch stake. And then when he pulls and he feels it tighten up, he stops because he's bound by the thoughts and imaginations of his own mind. They say an elephant has a good memory. His mind then becomes his enemy. Boy. Well, I can't do it. It's just not possible to do it. But I wanted to introduce you to David. That's where it really came down to it. You can read it yourself in 1 Samuel 17, where Goliath, the champion of Gath, he comes out against the nation of Israel. For 40 days, he taunts them. They're on one side of the mountain, the Israelites on the other side in the valley in between. And here come big old Goliath, this champion of Gath, six cubits in a span. A cubit is 22 inches or 18 inches, depending on the size of the man, from the tip of his finger to his elbow. I measured mine, which is 22 inches. At 22 inches times six, Plus a span is four inches. That makes that rascal 11 foot four inches tall. That's a big man. Then he had on a helmet of brass. He had a coat of mail, which was like pieces of brass that was overlaid like fish scales. He had a spear the size of a weaver's beam, and he had a javelin made out of rod that was pointed, and he could hurl it at great distances with great accuracy. And here comes him defying the armies of the living God. David just comes there to bring his brother's food, not even enlisted in the army. But he hears Goliath spouting off and he says, this means war. And what's going to happen to the man who takes him out? Goliath says, am I a dog? So what's David do? He runs to him, picks up five smooth stones out of the pool puts him in his shepherd's bag, and runs towards Goliath. Goliath says, am I a dog? You come to me with sticks and stones. Come to me, and I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth. David said, I'm coming all right, but you're not going to like what I'm bringing with me. And he gets there. He puts that sling in his hand, puts the stone in the sling. The reason he had five stones, because Goliath had four brothers. You'll find later where David's brother took off the other four. But he had that sling. And he runs towards Goliath. And Goliath starts saying, I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Talk back to the devil. He said, oh, no, big boy, you got that wrong. I'm going to feed your body. And not only that, not just your body, but all the hosts of the Philistine army to the birds of the air. And then on top of that, I'm going to take your head off your shoulder. He said, how are you going to do that? You don't even have a sword. He said, oh, yes, I do. You brought me one. <laughs> and he went towards Goliath. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a mail. 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you defy to let you know that there is a God in Israel who saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is not my battle. The battle is the Lord's. I hope you kissed Hagar goodbye because you won't be seeing her tonight. I don't know what his wife's name, but I just give him and said that. And with that, he let that stone go. Here, this man, his coat of mail weighed, as they said, 5,000 shekels of uh, uh, brass, which a shekel being half an ounce, you multiply that by whatever it is, it's about 150, 160 pounds, probably weighed more than David did. But this means war. I want you to know this, and I'm done. I'm out of time. God is on your side. This means war. When he, the enemy comes against you, he's not coming against you. He's coming against what you represent. He's coming against God. I, I should have spent more time on that, but I can tell you, this means war. Father, I thank you for this day. <laughs> Glory to God. Goliath said, come to me. Come on, well, I can do this to you. I can hear David now saying, if you feel like I feel, let's get it on. <laughs> no, he didn't sing that song. <laughs> Woo, baby, let's get it on. Let's dance. And he let that stone go and Goliath fell. And when he toppled him, he toppled the whole nation. And when de Jesus defeated Satan, he defeated him for all the world. And you don't have to walk around with your head down anymore. I wish there was somebody else I could accuse for making me take this long <laughs> baptism or something, but that's all done. The offering's done. Everything's done. So I'm five minutes overtime on my own. So, and let's pretend like I got through all the scriptures about this means war. In uh, first, Second Chronicles chapter 20, you have to read it yourself. In First Samuel 17. All right. Oh, see, now I got to wait for the ushers to hand out the elements. That's going to take some time. Pastor Rick, I'm done, but I'm waiting for them to hand out the elements. So. That's okay, Yeah. 